This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books in South Asian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I am one of the hosts of the channel, Shatranjay Mall. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Tempton Mistry about his new book, The 24th Mile, An Indian Doctor's Heroism in War-Torn Burma, which was published by HarperCollins in 2021. Dr. Mistry is a retired physician now living in California, and this is his first book. The book is a work of creative nonfiction based on the remarkable real-life historical story of Dr. Jahangir Anklesarya, a Parsi, that is Indian Zoroastrian doctor who was living in Burma at the advent of World War II. So thank you for joining the podcast today, Tempton. It's a, it's a pleasure. Thank you. It's great to speak with you today. Um, so our first question is always biographical. So I'd like to ask you a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? How did you become a physician? And how did you end up writing this book, The 24th Mile? Yes, I... I uh... I'll try to answer them as well as I can. So for, for as far as the, your first question, I grew up in Bombay, and after high school, I signed up to study science at St. Xavier's College. And as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a doctor, and this was a two-year pre-medical requirement. I was also fond of reading, mostly about men and women of science. English was my strongest subject at matriculation. And I remember being asked at my interview at St. Xavier's if I really wanted to do science instead of English. So from a young age, I had a fondness for the English language. Now, this is a story of my wife's uncle, who was a doctor in Burma during World War II, as you have mentioned. She was brought up by her uncle and aunt. And during the six or so years before our marriage, when I was dating her, I got to know and respect her uncle and learned of his remarkable life in bits and pieces. However, soon after graduating from medical college, we emigrated to the U.S. and lived in St. Louis, Missouri for 50 years. Once I retired from full-time practice, I had the opportunity to indulge this idea, which I had been carrying in my head about writing a book. My wife encouraged me, but we were too naive at that time to realize just how daunting a task I had undertaken. 
thank you for sharing that. Um, and and I'm, I'm so happy that you were, over the course of your life, you were first able to pursue your interest in science. And now uh, you, you've been, in your retirement, you've been able to pursue your interest in writing. So as I just mentioned in the introduction to this podcast, uh, the 24th Mile is written in the style of creative nonfiction, which means that although the story it tells is factual, you have taken creative license with the writing style and approach to, to the book. Could you tell us a little bit about this choice and why you felt that this approach could be helpful for writing this book? Yes, I, I see, I had never written a book before. So at first, I just started writing what was clearly a book of nonfiction. I got the factual and chronological information from my wife and from Dr. Anklisaria's daughter, Korshid, in Mumbai, who was able to supply much of the material documents and photographs because Dr. Anklisaria had passed away many years ago. I soon realized that while I had the factual sort of skeleton of the story, in order to connect the various known chapters of in his life, I needed dialogue and more characters. So after many years, the writing was finished and I started pitching the book to agents. And one of them, while politely declining, uh, I had a lot of agents who declined the book, uh, after politely declining, one of the agents referred to the book as creative nonfiction. So that's how I realized that what I was doing all along was writing creative nonfiction. It was not a never a conscious choice that I had made. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, that. That's really interesting to hear about how in the process of approaching different publishers and so on, you sort of were able to sort of uh, think about, uh, think more deeply about the structure of the book and how that sort of ended up being uh, creative nonfiction. Um, so as you mentioned, uh, the protagonist of the book, Jahangir Ankle Sarya, is part of your extended family. He's related to you uh, through your wife. Um, so could you tell our audience a little bit about him, his early life and career? Um, and why you felt it important to write a book about him. Sure. Now, you see, my, my wife's parents lived in a town in North India where there were a few good schools. And her uncle and aunt, who lived in Mumbai, agreed to let us stay with them so as to get the, a better education. So from the age of five, her uncle was her role model. And many years later, I too became acquainted with him. He had a striking personality which commanded attention. Although his life was full of adventure and acts of courage and sacrifice, I, I can't ever remember him boasting about his exploits or complaining about what he had lost. On the contrary, he had a beaming disposition and could smile with his eyes. In short, I admired him even in those early days when my attention was mostly focused on his niece. As far as his early life is concerned, he was <clears throat> he he went to uh, Elphinstone College in Bombay, uh, and then after that, after his pre-medical studies, he joined Grant Medical College for his medical education, and he graduated from there in 1914. 
that's just at the outbreak of World War One. So now, before you can start a practice in in you know in Bombay or anywhere, you need some money. So, and he 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 had you know he was a reasonably well educated young man, but uh, he needed some means. So he got the opportunity of joining the merchant navy at that time. Uh, and for the le- for the next uh, four years, from fourteen to eighteen, he was a uh, sailor on the merchant merchant navy, and uh, he gathered a lot of adventures and experience and uh, and character building, frankly, uh, in those four years, mm-hmm. because in uh, that time it was uh, no easy task to sail up and down in the midst of uh, the the world war 1 he would sail from england down to the english channel down the coast of uh, southern france down to africa the suez canal was not a healthy place in those days because of the war down the coast of africa cape town up to aden karachi bombay calcutta rangoon Singapore, Hong Kong, and then finally to Shanghai. So, I mean, he he had a very colorful and wide wide ranging experience in the merchant navy, uh, where he developed uh, one one of his on one of his voyages near Liverpool, the Lusitania was uh, torpedoed by the Germans mm-hmm. submarines, and uh, his ship was nearby, and that was a harrowing experience for him. So. He learned a lot of uh, life skills and uh, how to face courage and, uh, I mean, danger with courage in those days. After that, after the he uh, the, the war ended in 18, he went to Cambridge to pursue his studies, further studies in tropical medicine and hygiene. And he got a diploma from Cambridge in in, uh, in the same thing in the London School of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene. And then he came to, uh, uh, he had finished his studies and he came and obtained a position at Rangoon as a junior officer in the fort. And then finally he uh, was promoted and became a port health officer eventually uh, in Rangoon. So from 1922 until 1920 until 1942, uh, when they when the war finally reached Rangoon, he was uh, he was in in Rangoon in that capacity. Now, as far as what made me <clears throat> write the book, I, I as I said, I, I admired him in in the early days, and. Uh, I started writing this book to introduce this real life hero from our family to my grandchildren to my, to whom this book is dedicated. So that that's how it all uh, fell in place. Thank you for sharing that. It's, he seems to have lived such a fascinating life. He lived through both world wars, like as you mentioned, like in, and I was he was 
he was like traveling the world at the time of World War One, and then he was in Rangoon, and then he was in, and then, and then of course that was when World War Two began. And it's it's wonderful that you were able to write this book because not only your grandchildren but a wider audience can now learn and read about him since um, he's one of those people who, uh, you know, one of the forgotten heroes um, of that time. Exactly. So I understand that to piece together his story in India and Burma, I think you mentioned that you 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 talked to your wife, but you also talked to some of her relatives in India and elsewhere. Um, but you, you consulted some historical documents and you also traveled to both India and Burma. So could you tell us a little more about this experience and just your general experience of researching for this book? Sure. Um, the research, the, the writing required a prodigious amount of research, which was both a challenge and a joy. It was challenging because I obviously could not interview Dr. Anklesaria mm-hmm. and had to depend on facts and anecdotes supplied by family and friends. But the most difficult part, and I can't emphasize this enough, the most difficult part was matching the information I could obtain because, I mean, the information was there. I, I, I had a vast amount of information at my, at my disposal. But to uh, match that information to the actual chronology of World War II in order to preserve historical accuracy, that was the most challenging part. To accomplish this, I relied on three sources. The St. Louis County Library, which obtained books on the Burma campaign, sometimes called the Forgotten War. Now, only a fraction of this these books which they obtained is mentioned in the bibliography. But they were able to get through the interlibrary loan uh, any book that I that I that I wanted, and there's a vast store of information in that in that uh, in that list. The second uh, source was the Anglo-Burmese Society, which I joined and which furnished the official government reports about the civilian situation during the war, during the war in Burma. And that was extremely helpful to, to uh, actually uh, have authentic, uh, put names and places in perspective. And then there was, of course, uh, Google. I, and I, I say this with no, not a, no, no, uh, not a, not, it's, not a, it's not out of humor, but this, I, I sincerely believe that Google furnished this search engine helped unearth deeply buried nuggets of information of all sorts relevant to the story from very verifiable sources. You see, I was always interested in World War II and the history of medicine. And so the research itself was fascinating and rewarding. For example, the Burma Road, which ran from Rangoon to Kunming in China, cutting the Burma Road was a top priority for the Japanese. And this forced them to divert resources away from the Pacific theater. And I can exp- expand on this, but uh, it, this, was a, this was one of the uh, strategies that President Roosevelt had employed to pin the Japanese down in Burma. The other joyful part was a deep dive into the history of medicine. The medical information in the book seems even more meaningful today because the lessons of epidemiology remain unchanged in this pandemic. 
And to your last part, uh, yes, I did travel to Burma. My wife and I both traveled to Burma in 2015 and visited most of the key places in the story, including Jangir's office in Rangoon, the Shwe Degon Pagoda, which is mentioned in the story, and the British Council Library, from which I obtained photocopies of army maps, original maps dating from 1942, which were extremely valuable for me to to place the in context. We did travel in, sorry, we did travel in rural Burma and got to know the Burmese people. They are very fun loving, beautiful people. We also visited a Buddhist monastery and went to the town of Moniwa where Jangir controlled the cholera epidemic. Uh, as it happens, I love photography and many of the photos are in the book, including the cover which shows the the uh, temples and pagodas in Bagan. Thank you. It looks like you uh, put in a lot of effort um, into uh, researching and writing for this book. Um, so, uh, Dr. Ankle Sarya lived a prosperous and comfortable life in Rangoon uh, until December 1941, when the Japanese began bombing Burma. Um, so, what did he think about the war at the time, and what initial actions did he take for himself and his family? Well, at the outset of the war in 1940, when uh, as Port Health Officer, Dr. Ankle Sarya was a respected figure with a he had a finger on the pulse of rangoon equally at ease with the british and the indian communities uh, the family lived in a spacious rather comfortable bungalow compl- there are pictures in the book about this comfortable bungalow complete with tennis court and domestic staff etc similarly british naval power was at its zenith at that time, stretching from Calcutta to Rangoon to Singapore and then to Hong Kong. It seemed inconceivable that the Japanese could ever breach these bastions of power, which was the opinion of Jangir and the Indian community. It was not until December 1941, with the twin attacks on Pearl Harbor and Hong Kong, that the Indians in Rangoon started thinking seriously about whether to go back to India. These were not refugees in the strict sense of the word. These were just Indians who were working and living in Burma who who had to go back to their own country. When the Japanese bombed Rangoon on Christmas Eve of 1941, that's when the evacuation started in earnest and by sea and by land, and by end of January uh, of that year, Jangir's family had returned safely to Bombay. But he himself, being an essential civil servant, he had to stay behind. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. I see. Okay, okay. 
Um, and then, of course, um, after that, as you, you mentioned, like the, 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 the Japanese sort of are advancing towards Burma and the war in Burma takes a turn for the worse. So what situation did uh, Dr. Ankles Arya find himself in as the war progressed? Well, after the capture of Singapore, the Japanese started advancing in earnest and they actually raced up the Malay Peninsula by land. Uh, as the Japanese advanced towards Rangoon in February of 1942, it became obvious that Rangoon would have to be evacuated sooner or later. They they advanced over the... the there are many accounts of, of the, how they advanced over the Sitang Bridge and um, quite a few harrowing stories to tell. However, there was hope that the Japanese advance could be halted in central Burma along a defensive line with the British and Indian Army in the west near the Irrawaddy River and the Chinese armies of General Chiang Kai-shek in the east uh, near Tonggu. Mm-hmm. So Jangir expected that he would leave Rangoon for India by ship once his duty in the Rangoon port was over. But it soon became clear that the British Indian forces would have to retreat north and share the land route with tens of thousands of Indian civilians returning to India. Mm-hmm. Such a mass exodus would inevitably cause outbreaks of diseases like cholera. It was this uh, very alarming possibility which caused the British army to persuade Jangir to stay with them during their retreat because he had specialized knowledge in public health. Mm -hmm. So after much internal debate about the pros and cons, he decided that helping the British Indian Army and refugees was the right decision. Thank you. Um, so yes, yeah, so actually, what, what my next question was exactly about this about uh, Jahangir's role um, um, in sort of pre- preventing disease. Because as we know that although many deaths happen on the battlefield, as many people, if not more, die of disease and um, epidemics. So um, just could you tell us a little more about his uh, Jahangir Anklesaria's role as a medical doctor uh, in combating the disease and epidemics that Burma found itself in amidst the chaos of war? Right now, now, one of the one of the uh, uh, creative uh, lines of dialogue which I which I thought about uh, in the context of him being persuaded to stay was spoken by his director to him, and uh, so he so this is his director. He's speaking to Jangir. He, he's told him that. Uh, Doc, you you will be, well, most of the people around you will be k- killing people. You will be the one who will be trying to save lives. And that was, a, if I may say so, quite a, quite a nice piece of dialogue I created. So anyway, Jangir served as a special agent to the army. Mm-hmm. There were already outbreaks of cholera being handled by other doctors in Burma, but his role was to shadow the army and protect its retreat against disease. His first task was to inoculate the new troops coming to Rangoon against cholera. 
So he focused his considerable administrative energy on procuring vaccine and was able to vaccinate most of the military forces before they were evacuated from Rangoon. His next and most important job was to identify the most likely place along the army's retreat where a cholera outbreak could occur among the masses of civilians leaving Burma along with the army. What was most surprising, even to the army itself, and of course to, to people like me who, who read the book on the army, was that there was no road linking India and Burma when the war started. Let me say that again. When the war started, there was no proper road between India and Burma through the mountains of Assam. Urgent construction was started by the army, and as was expected, they were, they were to get priority in using the road, leaving tens of thousands of refugees to follow, waiting in overcrowded camps. This would be an ideal scenario for a cholera outbreak, which is why the army engaged Dr. Anglesea to help plan for its control. When the anticipated cholera epidemic did occur, Jangir used all his leadership and medical skills in combating it. And for this, he was decorated with the MBE medal uh, later in 1946. So, um, so I, I imagine that, you know, you might not want to reveal too many, um, uh, too many details or spoilers for our listeners. Um, and I really hope that our audience goes and buys uh, the book. Um, but could you tell us a little bit about this title and how you how you came up with this title, the twenty fourth mile, and what it means? Uh, because to, at first glance, like it might be a little puzzling about what what does it mean, the twenty fourth mile. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Now, um, during the entire time I was writing the book, I also played around with titles. Uh, one such title that I considered was selfless that that was just one one word uh, because it seemed to describe you know in one word all the activities that this uh, person was uh, uh, was doing but when i bounced it off my daughters it was rejected as being too cheesy so so i i went back to writing i just continued writing and didn't think much about the title and it was while I was doing the last chapter, that's chapter 15, the, the trek through the mountains. And, you know, I was, I was um, researching the um, distances through the mountains of, in, from, uh, from the border of Burma to Imphal, which is in uh, Assam. And, uh, and and the title just clicked in place, and I, I'll I'll leave it uh, to the imagination of your readers to to know why that title was was picked. Uh, at you know, it seemed to be uh, it just seemed very uh, a no brainer at that time. Thank you. Yeah, I think I agree with um, your daughters that I think this title is probably it's sort of much more apt uh, than the previous title that you had thought of. Right. I, yeah, I mean, on hindsight, it seemed it seems to fit the bill right, 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 right on. Absolutely. 
so um what lessons does jahangir ankle sarya's life and story offer to young people and to society in general today so you mentioned a little bit for example about his role in distributing vaccines and so on like that's sort of very relevant considering uh, the covid crisis that we've been looking we've been experiencing but uh, could you t- tell us a little bit about what what you think are the lessons of uh, jahangir's life for all of us living today well this this is a, a great question and one which i have thought about quite a lot and uh, i i will expound on it it may take a few minutes so the first thing that comes to mind is to do one's duty even at the cost of one's own life or freedom when the british asked him to stay with the army during the retreat jungir could have given some excuse and bowed out once his work in the fort was done and rejoined his family in bombay we can never know if the government could have commanded his service or not but by agreeing to stay he took the risk of becoming a japanese pow never seeing his family again or or both so beyond just duty one should strive to do the right thing as i explain in the book his decision forced him to put into practice the teachings which most zoroastrians recite in their daily prayers good thoughts good words and good deeds as well as the tenets of freemasonry brotherly love relief and truth uh, remember he was also a mason it helped that he was a physician trained in the very task he was assigned namely public health so it all seemed to to uh, come together in that uh, in that respect but but the, the the question i have is do we uphold these moral values today do our leaders do we even have leaders of the caliber of dr anklesaria who like many others of his generation combined administrative ability courage and integrity to help win the freedom which we all take for granted on a more personal level i admired him and his wife for their willingness to care for so many aging family members plus the responsibility of educating two young 5 year olds my wife's sister joined her you know later on after a few years um in the in the in the shelter where they lived remember he had lost everything in burma except the clothes on his back and he had to start from scratch close to retirement and do all this with humor and love truly a remarkable pair worthy of learning a lesson from but that brings me to the question of uh the medical aspect of the story jungi's story has enabled me to shine a light on two of the most outstanding medical men of the 19th and 20th centuries many years after writing about them i realized today that their work is so acutely pertinent these days as we struggle through the pandemic i'm referring to dr john snow who showed how epidemic cholera spreads through drinking water he is considered to be the founder of epidemiology the other is dr waldmar hafkin who helped develop a vaccine against cholera and plague at times risking his own life how many times have we heard the word vaccination in the past 3 years 
You can imagine how thrilled I was to discover in my research that Dr. Hafkin had actually done much of his pioneering work in the hallways of Grant Medical College in Bombay, the very college which we and Dr. Anklesaria had attended. So finally, uh, for those who like to think of what-if situations, the Burma campaign provides many lessons where the British Indian Army escaped capture by the Japanese through sheer luck on one hand and the timely arrival of the monsoon on the other. What if their luck had changed or the monsoon had been delayed? Similarly, after the war broke out, the British were hard-pressed to defend their own country at the very time when India was clamoring for independence. What if the British government had simply left India to its own devices? Without the stubborn resistance of the British, the Japanese would have surely invaded India. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. I mean, with Jahangir's life, um, I mean, there's so many things that you, you sort of bring bring to focus uh, through the book. Um, of course, like you, you, you ask this question about whether, like, you know, we have leaders of that caliber anymore. And I mean, given all the problems and the crises we are continuously facing, like, it's sort of a question that, um, you know, that I think of too, and like I, I, I wonder too. And um, uh, re- after reading this book, whether we have. Uh, people like him who sort of who stand up and show courage and um, and you know take take the baton or sort of lead in such a in a, such a chaotic situation um, and of course like the, it's it was fascinating to hear about um, the, the the medical um, angle of the uh, book and sort of. Um, um, uh, the the significance of the history of medicine and epidemiology and vaccines and so on uh, that you mention um, in the book. Uh, so we're coming close to the end of the interview, uh, but um, I, I had one question was about, is there anything else that you wish to share about the book that um, I did not get to ask you or address you because there's so many, it's such a, there's so many things that I did not get to ask you. Is there anything further that you had wanted to share about the book? Well, in general, it is, uh, it is, I, I would, I would encourage people, anyone who wants to write any sort of book uh, for that matter, not, not necessarily nonfiction, but any, any book, uh, if they're not an established author, I would encourage them to, to stay with it, to stick with the to stick with the project, and uh, and and I found that there were times when you know it seemed it seemed too much, and I just but I went back and revised it and revised it and revi- I, I must have done probably over a hundred revisions until I got until I felt that what I had written was was good. So you have to stay with it, and then. That's the easy part. The, the hard part is getting it published. So uh, once you've written a book, that doesn't mean that uh, that that book will see the light of day. It requires a lot of patience, hard work, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, you know discouragements and so on, until somebody will pick it up. Because if not being an established author, you don't have a track record with which agents and publishers can compare. So getting a, your first book published 
is very, very challenging. But I would advise every anyone who wants to do this to be prepared for many disappointments. Thank you. I think that, that that's very suitable advice for whether for scholars or for aspiring writers or anyone who's hoping to publish or write, write a book and publish a book. I think that's 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 a great source of encouragement, but also like very sagely advice. Um, so so thank you, Tempton, for taking so much time to talk with me today. Um, so before we end, could you tell us how you're occupying your time now and what's next for you? Well, <laughs> we we recently moved from St. Louis to Los Angeles to be nearer our children. And frankly, we have been very busy. Uh, what with the pandemic and settling in a new place, uh, LA and California are, uh, you know, it's like moving to a different country almost. It's uh, it's it's challenging. So we've been busy, but I have I have had to put on hold my plans to continue writing. Although uh, I hope to eventually uh, take it up again. All right. Thank you. We look forward to um, uh, uh, reading your next writing um, endeavor uh, when it comes out. Um, so this was an interview with Dr. Tempton Mystery about his new book, The 24th Mile, An Indian Doctor's Heroism in War-Torn Burma, which was published um, just last year in 2021 by HarperCollins. Uh, so thank you, Tempton. You're welcome. Thank you.